0: Title of the message today, God Speaks Precisely. God Speaks Precisely. We've got quite a few verses to read together. Let's do it. Let's start in verse 24. We'll read verse 26, verse 27 of the chapter, Mark chapter 12. Let's begin. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do you not therefore err? Because you not know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God. And as touching the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore do greatly err. Dear Holy Father, thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus for a Bible that you have preserved through the suffering of of your saints, and I thank you for it, God, that we have your word, your communication to us in these last days. Now do help us understand to thrive in you, Lord, to grow in you, to put away sin, to put away error. Help us reason with you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. You may be seated. God speaks precisely. God speaks precisely. After the Lord Jesus gave these words to the Sadducees, which were liberal, unbelievers, modernists, whatever you want to call them, they didn't believe in a resurrection. So the Lord quoted Scripture. And He said, Did you not read? Have you not read in the book of Moses? And we've been following these have you not reads and other phrases like this to get the Lord's way of interpreting Scripture. And He expected you to understand these things by reading the Old Testament. And He says, Have you not read? How in the bush God spake unto him, Moses, saying, I am. He didn't say, I was. They were all dead by this time. But God says, I am. I am the God of Abraham. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore do greatly err. Now, some folks were listening. And it says in verse 28, And one of the scribes came, And having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Noticed he heard them reasoning together. What I want you to understand today is I want you to read the Bible. If you don't read the Bible, if you walk by your own understanding, if you walk by your own feelings, there's no hope for you. There's no hope for you. But I hope that you are in everything acknowledging God. In every way, in everything you do, all your ways, I pray you are acknowledging God. Checking the Scriptures, reading the Scriptures to find God's will. But when you read the Scriptures, you're going to have to study. You're going to have to reason with God. He expects you to reason with Him. The Lord Jesus was reasoning together with them. He says, He didn't say, I was. He says, I am. I want you to understand why I preach what I preach. I found out just discussing with people I found out that many do not have biblical foundations when it comes to interpretation. They think you just pick up the Bible and read it. Never noticing how the Holy Spirit interprets the Bible. So you might debate with somebody from a scripture and you said, well, here's what this says. And you have no foundation because you've never studied the way the Bible meant to be understood. One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together. uh Uh-oh. The New International Version for the New International Church says one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Why did they want to get rid of the word reason? There's a reason for that. They want you, whether you look like a hippie or not. They don't care whether you look... Well, they do. They they want you androgynous. But my point is, what, what, what Satan and his leaders, earthly or devils, what they want you to do is close your mind down, follow your emotions, and really follow whatever they tell you. Just be blown about by every wind of doctrine. So therefore... Anything having to do with study, anything having to do with reason is taken out of the New Versions. You wonder how we got in the mess we're in today in our nation. Most people don't even go to church. When they do go to church, they are preaching from Bibles, little sermonettes, and they go home with a Bible that they can't even read, and when they do read it, you get stuff like this. Nothing to do with reasoning. But our God says Isaiah 1, "Come now and let us reason together," saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. God wants you to open the Bible and think about what he said. Reason with it. What he means is compare scripture with scripture, think. Don't act like an animal or a dog or a monkey. Read the Bible like a man made in the image of God, not a brute beast. Of course, the NIV, oh, we can't have a verse like that in the Bible. Isaiah 118, come now, let us settle the matter, saith the Lord. What disappeared all of a sudden? Why in the world would they want such a thing to happen? Whether they knew what they were doing on purpose... I believe they probably did, or whether they're just controlled by devils. It all disappears in the new Bibles. I wrote a book called The Word, God Will Keep It. You can read the first chapter where I list these. I go through the Bible and show you. I show you. See? Anything dealing with study, anything dealing with reason, anything dealing with certainty and absolute truth, anything dealing with infallible proofs, gone by the wayside, cast away with the penknife of the modern scribe. This is why this nation's in the moral mess that it is. This is why the churches are filled with so-called Bible versions that are hippie versions, charismatic versions, Eastern mystical, feminist, androgynous Bible versions. And we could go on and on. What's the result? New Age, mumbo-jumbo. You've got Bibles, so-called where words are missing. Entire verses are missing. The chapters and verses that are there often have brackets that say, this probably shouldn't be in your Bible. What does that produce? It produces a culture that says, well, I might as well just go do my own thing which you're never really doing your own thing, you're not brave enough. You're doing the thing they want you to do. So we've got one Bible that says one thing, and you've got another Bible, so-called, that says an entirely different thing. You've got one that brought revival blessed our nation, gave us the First Amendment, gave us the Bill of Rights, gave us revival all around the world. And you've got another line of Bibles, so-called, that have brought curses. You've got one Bible that says, Psalms 10, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Then you got another Bible. Here's a New King James Version. The wicked, in his proud countenance, does not seek God. God is, not, God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Anybody see a difference? The wicked's ways are always grievous. His ways were always prospering. Those are two total different ideas, Paul. Don't you say, well, they all say just about the same thing. You don't know what you're talking about. You've Most people have never even read the King James Bible, let alone these new versions that are all crunched together in a way you couldn't read it if you tried. No, they don't say the same thing. They say entirely different things. Now, when you see something like this, and you see what the Lord was doing when He reasoned with the Sadducees based upon one word, it didn't say, I was, it says, I am. When you open Exodus, it didn't say, I was, it said, I am. And the Lord made a doctrinal point about the resurrection. He proved the resurrection by that verse. Wow. No wonder he says in Luke 4, Jesus answered him, Satan, saying, It is written. If you want to fight the devil, you better find out what's written in this book. See, if you want to fight the devil, you better find out what's written and you better believe it and stand on it. The Lord resisted the devil. He said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. I don't want any of my Bible taken away. I don't want a single word removed. I don't want a single word changed. I don't want a single word deleted. We live by every word of God, so I need every word. Even that word am, the entire resurrection was proved by the Lord Jesus on the word am. This is how the Lord debated. This is how He reasoned. What do you think these modern versions do with such a thing as this? How can they do what they're doing when we're told plainly by the Lord Jesus that we live by every word of God? Let's find out. NIV, Luke 4, 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but... That's it. Why, it's not in the word of, It's not in the NIV. Not in Luke 4. Wonder why they removed that. Ripplinger tells us every word of God is important. The serpent added one word and changed the entire course of history. God said, Thou shalt surely die. And the serpent added only one word, You shall not surely die. Isn't it amazing what one word will do to your theology and to your whole life? Have you not read? How in the bush, God spake in him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. In other words, present tense, not past tense. The Lord made a grammatical argument. So we now arrive at a, yet another, very important principle of interpretation. I'll just call it the precision principle. God speaks precisely. Look at the grammar of what God says. Look at the grammar of what God says. Look at the tense of what he says. Look whether it's plural or whether it's singular. Look at how God speaks precisely. Well, if that matters, and there's a world of scholars trained, just like the the medical community has been taken over uh, for almost a century, it has been taken over. When you become a doctor, you're trained to sell drugs. You understand that? So who supports the the system? Who supports the schools? Where do they get their money? I'm going to tell you, when you become a doctor, a licensed doctor today, you are taught how to sell big pharma drugs. That's what you're taught. When you go to a seminary today, a theological school, a lot of money is donated by new Bible publishers because they want you to come out and be a salesman for new Bibles. See? Whatever the latest thing on the market happens to be. That's one agenda. So, when you see all of this, the logical conclusion is every word matters. Either God preserved his Bible so we could have every word, or he did not. They say he did not. You you know, you ever hear like the scientists come up, they, they, they come up with a new. Thing they discovered the other day, and they said, and it's exactly, uh, and, and they just threw out this number right down to, you know, whatever, it, it was insane, you, you just have to laugh, you know, well, why, why did you end with two and not three, I mean, it's, it's just, you, you people are crazy, you're mad, so modern scholars, these new version scholars say, well, we believe that we have 97% perfection. Where'd you get the number from? 97%. Boy, that's a big 3% that allows you a lot of leeway to do whatever you want. Praise God, we have in Matthew 24, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Isn't that good? My word shall not pass away. My words... You say, why, why do you believe in King James only in it, onlyism or whatever you want to call it? Why do you believe God preserved His Word? Because He said He did. Because He said He did. Some of these new Bible scholars, they write, they say, Oh, well, I understand. They email me or, or, or write their articles or books and they say, I understand certainty would be a great thing, wouldn't it? We all would love to be certain and have absolute truth, but what they're saying is there is no absolute truth. You're going to have to trust them. No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't do that very well. Heaven and earth shall pass away. No, you have to have us. You have to have a foundation. See, love of money is the root of all evil. Who paid you? What are you here for? No, I'll stick to the book. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. What about this? Matthew 5.18, the Lord said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. This is where we got our dot from. He's saying the smallest letters, the smallest letters, even the dot on an I. You ever heard the saying, not one iota, not one iota? That's what he means here. It's etymology The etymology is the same. One jot or one tittle. That means not even the punctuation, not a dot on an eye, not the smallest letter shall pass away. Somebody's lying. You better figure out what you believe. And if you find the Word of God, then you better grab it and die for it. Be willing to die for it, because the Bible says in the last days, many will die and be martyred for the Word of God. They know where it's at. Grammar and punctuation matter. Now, let's open the Bible a little bit here. And since the Lord argued from the present tense, let's go through the Scriptures, or we could do this all day, but I'll give you a few examples of how doctrine is changed by just changing the tense, okay? I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter one, twenty-two and 23 in our King James Bible, authorized version. Seeing you have, past tense, purified your souls, in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. I want you to remember that. King James Bible. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. Don't come hypocritical love like Judas with a Judas kiss, my buddy, my buddy, and then go behind their back and and deceive them, and falsely accuse them, and all of that. That's this modern hypocrite crowd that we don't have much patience for. Um, Now, love one another with a pure heart fervently. Notice this, being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. How many times you got to be told this? The word of God is not corruptible. It is not corruptible seed. It's alive. It lives, present tense, and abides forever. You're not going to get rid of it. I'm glad I have it right now. But what I want to show you is being born again. Have you been born again? I hope you have believed that you're a sinner and you believed, you have believed that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on a cross for your sins, paid the perfect price for your sins, the whole price that you might live forever. By grace are you saved. I tell you, praise the Lord. But wait a minute. This is not having been born again, being born again. Being born again. And notice these two dots right here. Love one another with a pure mind, fervently being born again by the Word of God. Being born again by the Word of God. In the Bible, we speak of our positional sanctification. That's a done deal. You are perfect in the eyes of God. It's a done deal. You have been born again. But there is an ongoing sanctification which we call practical sanctification that depends upon you obeying God. It's the Holy Ghost working in us and He changes us and renews us as we yield to Him. That means when you get saved, you're not to sit there You are to begin your walk. Praise God you're saved. Now it's time to be saved in present tense daily. Paul says, I die daily. See, what you're learning now is a very important point of what we call your ongoing practical sanctification. Your renewal. You say, why is it called being born again? Because it's a present tense regeneration. It is a present tense renewal in the Holy Ghost that comes through the Word of God. As you read the Word of God, you're going to be changed by that Word of God if you have the right motives, if you read it in faith. This is a beautiful point that's going to have a lot of practical implications when you open up the epistle of 1 John. There is a past tense being born again that has already happened if you're saved, John 3, 16, but there is a being born again that you better be doing today. I hope you're being changed today. I hope you're growing right now as you listen to the Word of God. I hope you have become a better Christian just since the time you've been in church today. Oh, let's open up to our friendly NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Let's see what they say. Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth, for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. Wait a second. Before we even get to our point, what do you mean from the heart? The Bible says love one another with a pure heart. But they say, no, love one another from the heart. You know, Our King James Bible says, speaking the truth in your heart. You know what these new versions say? Speaking the truth from your heart. They've been listening to too much pop singing. You understand that? This is pop singing. What, What are you talking about from the heart? Your heart is deceitful. Love one another from the heart for you have been born again. That's an entirely different doctrine, isn't it? I'm glad you're telling us that we have been born again if we're saved. But we already have other scriptures that teach us this. Where's my scripture that teaches me that there is a present tense sanctification? You just got rid of it. Now when I go to 1 John and see being born of God and not sinning, Now I don't have the way to understand the epistle to 1 John. You have taken away the keys of knowledge. If I'm to compare spiritual things with spiritual, spiritual words with spiritual words, you have now taken away my ability to understand 1 John. You have been born again. What about our NIV? Love one another deeply from the heart... For you have been born again. What happened to love one another fervently, with a pure heart fervently, being born again by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever? See, we have the Gospel of John. Listen to me now. We have the Gospel of John. John wrote his Gospel, and he's going to tell you why he wrote it. And I want you to understand that right now. He says, in John 20, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the ones I wrote, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The Gospel of John is written primarily, oh, you can get a lot of blessing out of it. There's a lot of blessing to Christians out of the book of John. Don't get me wrong. But the book has been written primarily to lead an unbeliever to, to Christ. Do you understand that? To lead an unbeliever to Christ. He did not say there's no value for a believer. But he's telling you the primary reason is to lead an unbeliever to Christ. That's why John wrote his gospel. That is not... I mean, when you read the book of John, what do you see? Nicodemus in John chapter 3... Uh, You see John chapter 4, the woman at the well. You see John chapter 6, you know. If you just believe, you'll be raised up on the last day. You see all these wonderful examples in the Gospel of John, how a lost sinner receives eternal life through faith alone. But what about the epistle to 1 John? It is not written to unbelievers. It is written to believers. Why did John write the epistle to 1 John? These things have I written unto you that believe. Aha! So the epistle is written to people already saved. So these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. New Bibles say, I don't understand all of that. We don't have any way of understanding. Let's just get rid of all of that. You say, well, if I already believe, why do I have to believe? Because guess what? You believed upon the Lord Jesus as Savior for your eternal life. You need to now believe upon the Lord so you can be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. You need to now believe upon the present power of God to give you strength so you can overcome daily, overcome the world, overcome the flesh, and overcome the devil so you can be a good Christian, so you will not be ashamed when you stand before God. So this epistle is written so you can be a better Christian. He tells you at the very beginning, 1 John 1, 4, These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. So you're not missing anything as a Christian. He tells us in chapter 2, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. That's why the book is written, that you sin not. Does anybody have a brain in this day and age? Do theologians have a brain? You ought to see what they say in the first epistle of John. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiving you for His name's sake. The book of 1 John is written to believers. What does He tell us? He tells us, I want you to not sin. I want you to have fullness of joy. I want you to believe upon the Lord practically in your Christian life. What does He call this? 1 John 2 And now, little children, abide in Him. Abide in Him. Dwell in Him. Walk in Him. Be in fellowship with Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. This is talking about what we call the judgment seat of Christ. Abide in Him. How do I know if I'm abiding? Well, John wants you to know that. Because there's a lot of people walking around and say, I've got Jesus. We're in fellowship. He's my buddy. Yeah. Well, why are you going to the bar, bro? Why why, why are you fornicating? Why are you drinking alcohol? Why, Why are you living the way you're living? But you say you're abiding in Jesus. He says, because I'm a Gnostic. And the Gnostic New Age Christians, whatever we do is fine because it's all in our hearts. See? What I do in my practical life doesn't matter. See, that's what the Gnostics were teaching. So John wrote this to counter that destructive teaching. Abide in Him so you won't be ashamed. How do I know if I'm abiding in Him? Well, let's turn the chapter. Let's go to chapter 3. Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Guess what? If you're sinning, you're not fellowshipping with Jesus. If you're walking in sin, you are not abiding in Jesus. People say, well, that's sinless perfection. When God tells you not to commit adultery, is that sinless perfection? When God says, don't be a drunkard, or you shall not inherit the kingdom of God, is that sinless perfection? What He's telling you right here is go be perfect. Go do what you can. To the degree that you are abiding in Jesus, you will not be sinning. And I promise you, if you're sinning, it's not because you're abiding in Jesus, it's because you're walking in the flesh, because you're believing the devil. Grow, strive. Be as holy as you can in the Lord. Now, notice, verse 9, chapter 3, 1 John. Whoso is, not was, whoso is born of God doth not commit sin. Do you know all he did? He just gave you another phrase for abide in him, dwell in him. To be born of God is a present tense reality. It's telling you that if you are being renewed by God, if you are being born again and changed by God in your Christian life, you're not going to be walking in sin. You say, oh, I'm growing as a Christian. No, because you're a lot worse uh, than you were last year. Last year you weren't living in this backslidden state. You better examine yourself. Oh no, I'm being changed by God daily. God's working in me. We ought to be able to see Him work to some degree, don't you think? Hey, listen folks, people go to the book of 1 John to say, let's see if you're saved in eternity. Let's see if you're really a believer. If you're really a believer, you're not going to have any sin. You ever heard Paul say, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Obviously a believer can fulfill the lust of the flesh. You should not. You better not. But it's a reality you can sin. The Bible, God told the Paul told the the Corinthians, you walk as men. You are carnal. Don't do that. That's the point. So when I open this up, I say, "Oh, I can just go to 1 Peter 1:23 where there is a present tense being born of God that is my practical sanctification." And I need to know, I'm not in fellowship. I'm not abiding in God. I'm not walking in the Spirit. I'm not getting this renewal that He wants to work in me. I'm not being born of God. If I'm sinning, so simple, so basic. Praise God for the King James Bible that makes things so simple. Unless you get in there and start perverting it with Catholic manuscripts. It's not just Catholic. They're Catholic, feminist, lesbian Bibles, and it's the most insane thing I've ever seen. They're Gnostic Bibles, is what they are. There is a present birthing, a present practical sanctification. You ever read Romans 2 12, verse 2? Be ye, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Be ye transformed? It sounds like there is a present tense being born again. Be ye transformed by the renewing. What is the renewal? Is it not a practical new birth? I have been saved, but now I'm being saved. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You get out here, you start walking in sin, you're not going to understand the Bible. You start walking in that fleshly mind, you're not going to understand the Bible. I'm telling you folks, words matter. Tense matters. Letters even matter. Wow. I've showed you that words matter. I've showed you that the tense of a verb matters. What about letters? What about letters? Do letters matter? The letters on the end of a word, do they matter? Paul makes an entire doctrine. Listen to Galatians 3, 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, with an S, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Just like the Lord Jesus, Paul says, well, when you go back in the promises, did you notice what he said to Abraham? He said, to thy seed, to thy seed. Paul says, Paul knows he was talking to the descendants of Abraham. Paul understands that. But Paul said, but God had another purpose. By leaving seed singular, it can now be taken in a plural sense to apply to all of Abraham's descendants, those who walk like Abraham, those who believe like Abraham. But he left it seed so he can have a prophetic teaching that the seed was Christ. Ah, the New Version people didn't understand that. They made a big boo boo. They should have read the New Testament before they went back and tried to translate their Bible. Let's go back. Genesis 13 For all the land which thou seest, says God to Abraham, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, to thy seed forever. Paul's saying in one sense, he meant he gave it to Christ. And remember, the Lord Jesus says, all things have been put, all things have been given unto me, heaven and earth, they're mine. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus, He's going to give it to you and reign. You're going to reign with Him. But there's a thousand-year kingdom. He wants you to reign in that special time of reward with Him. Oh, what a blessing that will be if you overcome Paul says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Because it's not just just one. He goes on. He goes on and on. Let's look in chapter 17. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and, here's our phraseology of Galatians, and to thy seed after thee. Okay. Let's see what the new versions do here. Because Paul says, Paul says, on the basis of one letter, we have a prophecy of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. On the basis of one letter missing. Let's see if the NASB gets it. Galatians 3.16. Now the promises, NASB, were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say unto seeds, as one would in referring to many, but rather as in referring to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So they got the gist of this, okay? Okay. Well that's great. Now let's go back and see what the NASB did in the Old Testament. Genesis 13 For all the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants with an S forever. Not only did they get rid of the word seed they put an S on descendants. They blew up the doctrine. After they translated Galatians 3 they went back in the Old Testament and got rid of Paul's point. point. Let's give it another chance. Let's go to Genesis 17. To be God to you and to your descendants after you. They did it again. There's no prophecy of Christ here. God, help us. All the verses in the NASB read descendants. They don't even read seed. They put an S on it. Totally negating Paul's point. We're not looking for verses that say, in your seed. We're looking for verses that say, to your seed. Promises that have be given to your seed. You know what? The New King James Version butchers every one of the verses also. Just get rid of the whole prophecy of Christ in the Old Testament. These are not Holy Spirit Bibles. These are not, I would not even call them the Word of God. You say, isn't there a word or two somewhere in there? Okay, they have the Word of God somewhere in there, kind of, you know, here, there, here, there. It is not as a whole the Word of God, people. I am telling you that. I thought what I would do was just open up the book of Genesis chapter 1. And just take new Bibles and see what they do with the words. But remember, we're not just looking at words. We're looking at letters. We're looking at tenses, whether it's past tense or present tense. Just open up the first chapter of the Bible and see what we find. Okay, here's Genesis 1-5 in the King James Bible. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning were, were the first day. That's important. Because it shows us in one sense, we call the day when you have sunlight. But in another sense, we have a 24-hour day. And we say the whole thing is a day, all 24 hours, including the night. That's right. You need both. Because as you go throughout the Bible... To try to understand chronology, you need the understanding that when the Holy Spirit tells you a day, sometimes He means 24-hour days that include the night, and sometimes He means just the daylight part. You need to know that. Let's go to the NIV. How can you even read the... This is M equals 3 W squared. What is all of that? And it's in micro print all pressed together, you know. I had a bunch of hippies come over one time. One's a pastor now, but you'll have to remember, brother, you were a hippie back then. And so they come over one time, and uh, I had an NIV just for reference. I said, Let's have us a Bible study. And I started reading the King James Bible, and they picked up and they said, What in the they they were just fresh out of the world. They're, what is this? And they threw it down. That's not a Bible. You know, they could tell immediately that was not a Bible. You know, look at this. L-G-B-Q-X, how many have, how many things have they added to L-G-B-Q? God said, J, let there be light, and there was light, K. God saw that the light was good, L, and He separated the light from the darkness, M, That's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Let's just get to the last part. And there was, here's NIV, Genesis 1-3, And there was evening, and there was morning, dash, the first day. Wait a minute, comma, up here. And there was evening, comma, And there was morning the first day. What did the NIV do? The NIV, because of a dash, because of a comma, they got rid of the 24-hour day. Where's the 24-hour day? You could argue that this is just the last daylight. So we already see before we even get moving that we've got messed up doctrine. Messed up doctrine. There's so much messed up. So many changed words, so many changed tenses and letters. Oh, it's just a bunch of garbage. But um, I want you to notice again, King James Bible, Genesis 1. I'm going to prove a point here. My point is this. You've got to read the Bible, then we've got to reason with the Bible, see? Not in a fleshly way, but let God teach us. Let God reason with us through the Scriptures, through the Holy Ghost. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat. Give you everything, says God. You can eat everything. Before you even get out of chapter 1, God's going to teach you something. Chapter 1 and 2, God's going to teach you something. He's going to teach you that when you see a word like every, listen to me. Sometimes that is a restricted every. Sometimes it is an expanded every. Sometimes it is an absolute every. Sometimes it is a relative every. You say, how do you know? you got to reason with the scriptures. you got to look in the context. So when you read chapter 1, every tree sounds like every tree, doesn't it? In an absolute sense. Let's go to chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Just like I said. But, oh, now we got a but. See, you don't want to have Genesis 1 without Genesis chapter 2. You don't want to read Genesis chapter 1 and not read Genesis chapter 2. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So here's what we do when we reason with the Bible. We say, I wonder if this every is an absolute every. Let's check and see if it's limited anywhere. Let's check and see. Let's check and see if God limits it anywhere. You turn one chapter over and there is a limitation. Just one. Just a slight one. But oh, it was an important one. It was an important one. See, God tells you don't add to His words and don't take away from His words. But sometimes you take away from the word by restricting it when God did not want it restricted. And sometimes you expand on it when God did not want it expanded. He wanted it restricted. A fellow said, well, who's my neighbor willing to justify himself? He was restricting a word that God did not want restricted. When Paul says, all things are lawful for me, the all things there are restricted. He doesn't expect you to think that everything, adultery, fornication, drunkenness, witchcraft, is lawful. That's not what he means. Let's continue reading with the Bible. A reasoning. Genesis 2. And the Lord God commanded the man. The man. The Lord God commanded the man. Saying, of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. This was before Eve was even created. Do you know you never see Eve's command in the Bible? Do you know you never see Eve commanded... Not to eat of the tree? Oh, but she was commanded. We know she knew about it. The Bible assures us that she sinned and she was in the deception. She was deceived. So what do we learn? We learn that sometimes when God commands the man as the head it is implied that the woman is also commanded. What about this? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm just giving you examples of reasoning with the Scriptures here. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's going to tell you in chapter 15, that is the millennial kingdom, the temporal kingdom. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. These sins are listed, I'm going to ask you, are they in the masculine form or the feminine form? Who knows? They're in the masculine form. Remember James says, you adulterers and adulteresses? The the word adulteress is a feminine adulterer, a female adulterer. So this is all in the masculine, even the word effeminate. If abusers of themselves with mankind, that is the sodomite, the homosexual. So, who are the effeminate? They must not be totally into homosexuality, but they're one step from where they need to be. They're men that are walking and dressing and acting like women, though they're not yet necessarily abusers of themselves with mankind. Or maybe they're both. In other words, this is cross dressing. So let me ask you this question. When we read this, would you say these sins, this warning is limited to men or is it for men and women? For men and women. Y'all help so peck out. I appreciate so peck. It's for men and women. But you say, how do you know? Is it wrong for a woman to be effeminate? No, you got to reverse it. So obviously, he's saying he doesn't want a woman cross-dressing by being masculine. The man's effeminate, the woman is masculine in a way she should not be, in a way she can help. So we just found out, just like we did from the book of Genesis, that sometimes when God says man or uses the masculine form, He means men and women. He means men and women, okay? The NIV, you know what it does? The NIV says, huh, oh, we can't really get rid of fornicators. Can't really get rid of adulterers. We'll get in a lot of trouble. We got to do something here with this abusers of themselves with mankind. Hey, we can scratch this right out of here. They just get rid of a feminine. New Bibles, they just scratch that out. In other words, don't be a sodomite, don't be an adulterer. But if you want to cross-dress and pretend you're a sodomite, that's okay. If you want to just try to walk around and act like you're one of these, that's okay. That's okay. See, the Bible you use will determine much of your fruit. It'll, It'll determine all of it to a high degree in the Lord. Now, having said... That in reasoning with the scriptures and knowing that every word and every letter and every tense matters, how many letters different is there between he and she? I'm just trying to relax you. Y'all go on to sleep. How how many, Brother John, how many letters difference is one? He holds up a finger. That's right. There's one different, there's one letter difference between he and she. That one letter makes a big difference, doesn't it? Whether it's he or she, that's a big difference. Sometimes in the Bible, there are implications, inspired implications. If God says adulterer, he also implies adulteress. When God tells the man not to eat of it, he also means the wife not to eat either. We use the lesser to greater and the greater to lesser arguments. However, you can err on either side. You can take a verse that is only meant to apply to a man and apply it to both, and you erred. See, you erred. Look at this one, Numbers 1. Take you the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel, every male by their poles, from 20 years old and upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel. Well, here comes the woman. She's all dressed in her military gear and she says, count me. I'm standing up to be counted. No, no, no. You're not to be counted right now. No, I'm going to war. Hey, if people are raiding your country and you want to pick up a sword after all the men are dead, that's one thing. I'm talking about people marching out to war as a military bat. This is not right. The Bible says she tarried at home. She tarried at home. This male here meant... Only men. Only men, not females. Don't expand that word to make it more than it is. Let's go through. Let's play a game. Deuteronomy 20. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thy hands, thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. <clears throat> Did that mean smite everybody? Male and female or just male? Take a guess. Just male. Just male. Don't go in there and kill all the women. He didn't mean that in this verse. What about this? Genesis 7. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both the fowl and the cattle, and of the beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man. Did y'all know women survived the flood? No. It doesn't say women died here. So is this every man is this only man or does this include women? Includes women. Y'all are good at this reasoning thing. See, you're reasoning with the scriptures. You're good at it. Let's do some more. Exodus eleven two. Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor. Is that only the men, or is that man and woman? Men and women, how do you know? Sopek is on it today. Y'all pat him on the back, let him eat first, all right? Well, let's read the next part of the verse. And every woman. Well, you didn't even have to go to another chapter to find that. You just kept reading the verse and it tells you every woman. We can learn a lot by reasoning with the Scriptures, by context, by examining. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. You have to study really, really hard and, and really think it out. Uh, sometimes it's obvious. Just read the next part of the verse and you'll see it. All right, let's do one more. So, Peck, you stay out of this one. Exodus 23, 17. Three times in the year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Is that males only or is that male and female? They're scared to death, So, Peck. Is the command males only or is it male and female? Good job, Brother Jeremy. Good job. Does this mean that when he takes his trip to Jerusalem, the woman can't come along? Huh? No, she can come. But what if she says, I have a lot to do. I need to stay home. Can I have permission to stay home? Is she allowed to stay home according to God? Is she? Yes. What are we doing right now? We're reasoning with God, we're reasoning with the scriptures, and we're understanding every word matters, every tense matters, every letter matters. Just the addition of one letter can make a big difference. If I said in o no, that's different if I said N O W now. now. Just one, just one letter makes a big difference between the, whether you do something now or whether you don't do it. Just one letter. As Paul argued on the basis of one letter. Let me show you how important one letter is. King James Bible, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Boy, that really messes up a watchtower person, doesn't it, that doesn't believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus. Woo, what are they going to do with that? Oh, New World Translation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was um, uh, a God. Just just one little small a there. Well, that changes everything, right? Wow. One little letter changes everything. What about this? Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said unto him, the thief on the cross, Verily I say unto thee, comma, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I was arguing with a watchtower man, elder, and uh, he was arguing to me that you got to remove that comma. And I've argued the same thing with Seventh-day Adventists. See. They don't want the thief on the cross to be awake like Abraham was in the rich man and Lazarus story. They don't want people conscious before the resurrection somewhere, see. So, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So the Seventh-day Adventist says, no, verily I say unto thee, comma, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. They said, no, no, let's fix this. I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I'm like, wait just a second, buddy. He said, I didn't change anything. No, you did change it. What did they do to change it? They put the comma. Where you put the comma changes the whole meaning. I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Folks, my point is this. What a difference. What a difference. Every jot and tittle made. And you're telling me that God would have left you without a Bible? He would have left farmers and mechanics and blacksmith and grocery store owners and merchants and businessmen. He would have left them without a Bible? So you have to go to a priest somewhere to tell you what they think it means and they all disagree? No, that's insane. That's insane. Let me give you one last verse, we'll close. There's a reason why there's so little fear today. So little reverence for God. So little trembling before God. See, God wants to look to those that tremble at His word. Nobody's afraid of God anymore. Nobody fears God, hardly, in our culture. Let's look at our King James Bible. Let's just look at Christians for a moment. 2 Corinthians 5.9, Wherefore, says Paul, we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. See, there is another type of acceptance, a practical acceptance, a judgment seat of Christ acceptance. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Uh, "'What happens if I'm bad? What am I going to receive?' Paul doesn't get into it right here, but he says, "'Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men.'" He's talking about believers receiving what they have done in their body at the judgment seat of Christ. Whether it be good or bad, you're going to receive for it. You're going to receive a reward, whether that reward is negative or positive. And he says, "'Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men.'" Wow. I better be a good Christian. I better get out here and obey God. Maybe the NIV will help me. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What? Wait, wait a second. I'm going to stand before God, receive of the things done in my body, and you say, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. You're not even telling me whether that's a good thing to fear the Lord or not. We try to persuade others. Folks, I could give you so many more examples. What this is called is watering down the Word of God, watering down the Lord's words so a new generation of rebels will come to church and hear their rock concert and not be too much offended by the little playful coloring books called the NIV. Dear Father, we do thank you for showing us in the Word of God how to interpret it. Lord, we know we're not perfect. We have a lot of things to grow in, Lord, and we want to continue to grow. We want to continue to become wiser and wiser. We want that light to shine more and more to the perfect day, Father. We want to be Renewed in our minds, Lord, and in our lives, our bodies. Now, I pray, God, You give this church and all those that are listening right now a thirst for Your Scriptures, God, to thirst after righteousness, to thirst to know You and Your revelation, God. Because, God, I'm ashamed to say, and I know it's true, that right now, if they say a so-called UFO landed somewhere in a city of America, people would kill and die if all of a sudden a scroll was left outside its door and it took off. Everybody want to know what's in that thing, Lord. And I, God, but we have something so much better than some devil coming down and giving us a word. We've got the God. You are our creator. You are our Savior, our Redeemer, and you have communicated unto man. And we thank you for it, Lord, not just in creation, but you've given us words. You've given us this letter, this manual of life. Now I'm going to ask God that we would have a thirst for reading it, for memorizing it, and for reasoning and trying to understand it, Lord. Now give us the faith, the humility, and the fear, and the trembling to be a good workman, and help me as a pastor to study to show myself approved. A workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen.